The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. This is Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. UK lawmakers vote to seek a delayed departure from the EU for at least three months, paving the way for Prime Minister Theresa May to make a third attempt to get her Brexit deal through Parliament. Chinese stocks rise as Premier Li Keqiang pledges strong support and outlines plans to boost the country's slowing economy in the final days of the annual National People's Congress. Elsewhere, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission sues Volkswagen over its diesel emissions scandal, alleging the automaker carried out a, quote, massive fraud on U.S. investors. New Zealand police confirm there are multiple fatalities following shootings at two mosques in Christchurch, while four people have been arrested as the city remains in lockdown. At once upon a time, I remember when UBS traded at a massive premium in the early days of Sergio Amotti to the rest of the market. 16 times forward, I remember, against a European average that was trading at 11 times forward. Now it trades at 9 times forward because the problems keep coming as well. Uh, let me just tell you that UBS now is looking at its 2018 results and the balance sheet as of the 31st December. And this differs from those presented in the unaudited fourth quarter report republished on the 22nd of January as a result of adjusting events after the reporting period. Cut a long story short, and Jeff has been drawing my attention to uh, the story that broke in late February, amongst others, about UBS appealing its fine for 4.5 billion euros from a French tax fraud case as well. Now, as a result of this discrepancy, earnings per share is going to be decreased by 0.1 to uh, uh, dollars per share. So that's uh, 10 cents per share. Diluted earnings uh, by 9 cents per share as well. Um, notwithstanding the strength of our legal arguments and lack of evidence to support the charges, Okay, there's a good legalistic argument there. We've increased the provision for this matter to a total of 450 million euros. So that will have a dampening effect, I suggest, on UBS shares this morning. Uh, Jeff, you've got a bit of comment on this one. Yeah, I just want to, uh, I mean, obviously, there, this is uh, still uh, with the courts. Um, the UBS um, initially um, uh, rejected an offer of a, a just over a billion, I think, to settle this. So the French authorities turned around and said, okay, fine. Uh, we'll just ra ratchet that up. And I've seen estimates of anywhere between 5 billion to 3.7 billion euros. Well, if you think about the, uh, the net profit for this bank in 2018 was 4.3 billion mm. euros, potentially, if the French go for the upper end of this, that could wipe out the whole of the profit for 2018. But it's, clearly, there's always a negotiation. Of course, it? there's always a, a negotiation. But clearly, UBS here doesn't feel that that's going to happen because of the amount that they're provisioning at this point. And that looks like a, oh, a provisioning to the lower I, side. I'll just put in the warning as well. Karen, I'm sure you're going to come in on this one. Given the market development since last October, what market developments? We went down and we went up again. That's a market, isn't it? Anyway, here we go. I'll go with UBS. Given the market developments since last October, our starting point from the year is different than we'd planned, making this year's journey towards our target steeper. Is that a, is that a warning, UBS? I know you're watching. Are you warning on this year's numbers? Tell us. Anyway, Karen. 
That does sound like a, a different tone, doesn't it, that it's uh, issuing to investors. I'm just going to come in on the penalties, uh, back to the yes. amount that you're saying, because if you may recall, there were trials in the United States or a similar case in the United States and also in Germany. If you look at those cases, the US case was $780 million. That was a settlement, but uh, was, of course, a number of years ago, back in 2009. Yeah. And when it comes to the German case, that was, again, much lower, 300 million euros, and that was settled in 2014. So the numbers that we're talking about in the French case far greater than the US and German case. One day, banks will not have to look at litigation for past misdemeanors and can get on with the day-to-day -day business without having to worry what their traders and corporate bankers have done that actually hasn't worked with the regulators, i.e. has been illegal. Uh, right, let us move on. Not saying about UBS, by the way. I'm talking about the industry as a whole. I want to look at the US markets very quickly. It will be registered as a down day for the S&P and an up day for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But as you know me by now, uh, I call this flat as well. And I think it's eminently sensible to wait and see on these markets markets as well, given the fact that we don't know what on earth's going on about Mar-a-Lago. Oh, we're all looking forward to a, a trip down there in March, but it's not going to happen, it doesn't look now. Could be April. I say trip down there, I meant metaphorically. I wouldn't actually be going, but Mr. Xi was potentially be going. Apparently his plane been put back on the hangar on that one as well. We don't know what's going on with Brexit at the moment, although I think, and I'll tell you, I think Mrs. May had a good day yesterday, regardless of the shambolic scenes going on all week in Westminster as well. Uh, and of course, there are other stories that are up in the air, such as Boeing on a corporate front as well, which has been why actually week today, and I'll tell you the week today very briefly, the Dow has been a drag compared with the S&P. Dow's still done a, a meritable 1% higher, but the S&P is up 2.4% and the Nasdaq has done 3% to the upside this week. Asian markets are more interesting, and I'll tell you why in a second. Hang Seng up 7 tenths of 1%, uh, ASX 200 uh, down, well, flat again, 0.07 of 1%. Right, this is why they're interesting. Look at the Chinese markets. We have got uh, decent gains, Actually, they were bigger gains. There was a one handle on these, i.e. one point something higher earlier on. So we've abated a little bit on these gains, but we'll get to Eunice uh, just after our first break as well. Uh, delegates, delegates at the NBC, MPC, the National People's Congress, have voted overwhelmingly in favour uh, of a new foreign investment law. So hopefully smoothing the way uh, to those trade talks we talked about as well. So just want to register that in your mind as well, that you have a little bit of bullishness on Asian markets, but not quite as much as it was. Literally only one hour ago. Let's have a look at the, oh, I, I thought there was no opening calls, but we'll go straight back to Jeffrey now. We're not going to have the opening calls? No? All right, we'll do those in. You know what? Let's keep them waiting. <gasps> the suspense. Yeah, but we're on podcast now. We can't keep them waiting on podcast. No, but you know, the podcast only runs for about 30 minutes, so we'll get them in some point this half hour mm, to make sure tricky. we've covered them off. It's to view stuff. People expect certain things at certain times. Well, we're just going to mix it up, make it exciting for what Friday the 15th. Ooh. <laughs> Let's talk about Brexit. Everything's exciting. <laughs> I spent three and a half days with Willem down on uh, Abingdon Green getting wet to the gills. So He's be, still down there. You'll be better friends than you were before. Is by that this possible? Point. Uh, is that possible? The UK Parliament has overwhelmingly voted to ask the EU for an extension to Article 50. Prime Minister Theresa May is now expected to bring her Brexit deal back to Parliament for a third time next week. Uh, Willem is in Westminster. Sylvia is in Brussels. Willem, let, Willem let's start with you. Um, just on this, uh, what comes next then? We know that there is now this timeline of next Tuesday for a third vote on her current package. But what, what happens in the intervening period? Well, essentially, yeah, the clue was in the details of the motion that passed last night. Theresa May essentially offering... MPs two options uh, to do with 
voting once again for her deal or not and what that would mean for her trip to Brussels. But in terms of the timeline, we should hear from the Prime Minister again in the next couple of days, most likely on Monday, outlining quite what her next moves are. We could then see that third meaningful vote on Tuesday. And it's worth noting what MPs did vote against last night because it was a free vote on that main government motion for an extension. And you saw cabinet ministers, including the Brexit secretary, actually voting against the government, a sign once again of how things are breaking down in terms of the discipline here in Westminster. But before that main vote, MPs did vote against some other you know, important things. They, they voted against a second referendum. That's not binding, admittedly. They voted against taking control of the process very narrowly, I might add. And they also voted against holding a series of votes that could essentially flesh out where there might be a majority in the Commons for a future approach to Brexit. Jeremy Corbyn, as leader of the opposition, he saw once again there was some blood in the water and he criticised the Prime Minister's approach. Even though MPs had voted against taking control, he once again insisted he'd like to see more consensus in the House of Commons. After the last few days of government chaos and some defeats, all of us now have the opportunity and the responsibility to work together to find a solution to the crisis facing this country, where the government has so dramatically failed to do so. We have begun to, we've, we've begun to hold meetings with members across the House to find a consensus and a compromise that meets the needs of this country. But the last few days have also put a responsibility on the Prime Minister. First, to publicly accept that both her deal and no deal are simply no longer viable options. And secondly, to bring forward the necessary legislation to amend the exit date of the 29th of March. But of course, Theresa May doesn't seem to accept that her, her deal is now dead in the water. She's essentially going to be racing along with some of her allies to try and persuade some of these rebellious Conservative MPs alongside members of the DUP, the small Northern Irish party that props up her government, to come behind her deal in the next few days in order to try and get it passed before she travels to Brussels. Uh, no, Villa, look, um, the rebellious Remainer cabinet ministers, let alone her MPs, uh, were given a dressing down. Then literally in a very short period, Mr Barclay, <laughs> uh, actually her, her Brexit minister, actually, or Secretary of State, uh, then obviously rebelled against her. But what I think is more interesting is that I didn't read much about actually she had a very good day. And I think she did have a good day. I'm interested in what you think. I know we can debate this, but the um, referendum vote without motions went her way. She got her date that she wanted uh, on the extension. Uh, and also so she didn't get Parliament taking control on the indicative vote. So for once, I think Mrs May had, I say very good, she had an acceptable day. Is that fair? I think, you know, based on the fact that she didn't lose control of the process to Parliament, you could say that she is still in the game, essentially. But it was very interesting to see the wording of the motion that the government put forward that did eventually pass, because essentially it forced MPs to vote for an extension while also forcing them to allow for the fact there might be this third meaningful vote next week. So that was some quite clever wording that keeps her deal alive, in theory, ahead of next week. And now we're going to see this kind of carrot and stick approach from the government over the next few days, where they'll be using the potential incentive that there might be changes to the Attorney General's legal advice to try and bring some of these rebellious MPs back on board her deal, though there's no guarantee that will be something that the legal interpretation will allow. And then, of course, the stick approach is saying, look, if you don't vote for my deal, which would allow for a three-month technical extension, I can't tell you what the people in Brussels will say to me next week. They may want a year, two years, and that, of course, is something that a lot of those in favour of a quick Brexit will balk at. Yeah, and, and um, 
I, I, did, I did actually just tweet. Thank you very much, Villain. But I, I, I tweeted um, that um, by MV4, she could get it over the line. Because right. she lost MV1 on January the 15th. Yes. This uh, is a meaningful vote. Oh, no, you've so got we're to now breaking it down to MV. We're all there now. We're all MV. There. Right. It's like you with CR7, you and your mate Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes. We can all go MV. Okay. So MV1, apparently meaningful vote. She lost by 230 votes. Worst ever. MV2, she lost by 149 votes. Uh, meaningful vote too. Uh, um, <laughs> which is the fourth worst from a modern government. MV3, on that basis, she loses by what? 70 votes? Or given that extrapolation. MV4... Gets over the line. Victory by a thousand losses for Mrs. May. So we just keep going. We just keep <laughs> well, voting until eventually we get fair, through. That seems to be her strategy. Nothing else I can see. But, but, but it's the irony lost on anybody that we we cannot have a second referendum because that would be undemocratic. But we can have four votes. Well, there is parliamentary convention package over the line. So, uh, as you know, when I throw myself into Abingdon, I learn a little bit more about some of the more esoteric rules. And there is parliamentary convention that you cannot add infinitum, keep going back with the same point to Parliament. This is something that actually she could be challenged on. So, unless there is a, a tweaking of the language or, or a differentiation in the circumstances surrounding this, you yeah. can't keep going back to Parliament if challenged with the same wording for the same bill. Um, obviously, because otherwise it would just log up the whole uh, filibuster, so the whole apartment. something legally binding uh, would do the trick, is let, what you're let's, saying. Let's go maybe, back to this. Yes, just, maybe. That's, that's, uh, Sylvia, I know, is standing in the cold yes. in Brussels. Yes. Let, let's get out to Sylvia yes. and let's just get the, the Brussels angle on this, because it's all well and good for the UK parliamentarians uh, to say, we may want an extension here. But how is Brussels going to deal with that, given that I, su I suspect not all of the member states, Sylvia, actually want to give the UK politicians more breathing space. Exactly, Jeff. There are two big questions at this stage. Will the EU say yes to a request for an extension? And if it does, under which circumstances will that happen? Now, we heard yesterday from the President of the European Council, Donald Tusk, suggesting that the 27 European leaders should discuss a long extension. I asked a European official here yesterday, what does it mean, a long extension? And he said that there's no definition, but it could be of about one year. So those discussions about an extension will happen here next week at a summit. And of course, we cannot forget that we need the consensus from the 27 European countries. If one member state is not happy with the request for an extension, then that, that country can effectively block that process. And so in this context, Michel Barnier said last night that if indeed the UK still wants to leave the EU in an orderly fashion, it has to be with the current withdrawal agreement. Let's listen in. If the UK still wants to leave the EU and if it wants to leave in an orderly manner, which is what the Prime Minister tells us, then this treaty, such as it is, which organises the orderly separation, is the only one possible and available. And in order to go further, we do not need a negative vote against the treaty, we need a positive and constructive vote. This treaty is not the end of the story. It organises the orderly separation which is preferable to a no deal, a hard Brexit or a disorderly separation. So effectively, all scenarios are still on the table. And when it comes to an extension, we cannot forget as well that it's going to be very important for the UK to have a very credible justification. That was very clear. For instance, the Prime Minister of Luxembourg said that last night. He told the UK that this is not the time to keep calm and drink tea. This is not the time to keep calm and drink tea. Very funny.
Uh, Sylvia, thank you very much indeed for that. We'll come back you know, to that. They're a terrified bit as well. For What's all that? of their bluster, this yes. is the problem with the British negotiation. Huh. They are terrified of having. This is the point I, I think I made to you guys, or to you yesterday, because you were on a, a later shift. Uh, um, I, I made to you about the MEPs, British MEPs. The last thing they want is a resurgent barrage with a uh, Brexit party having seats beyond the parliamentary elections in May. It, because you're going to have an emboldened um, uh, La Lega, you're going to have emboldened Le Pen, you're going to have an emboldened AFD, plus a whole host of other populists, including Wilders Bunch as well. The last thing they want is a man who hates the organisation taking their payroll yes. uh, to be there as well. They do not want British MEPs. So, so they could end up with a parliament as dysfunctional as the one we've got? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.